And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. From the Acts of the Apostles, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Today in this reading from the Acts of the Apostles, Paul and Barnabas are asked for a word of exhortation at the synagogue in Antioch of Pisidia. In fact, the word that the synagogue elders use is not really that they want an exhortation, because that's not really a normal thing that people ask for in a church or in a synagogue. What they really want is encouragement. That's exactly what they're asked for in the Greek, a periklesis. And Paul proceeds to give an extended exposition of the Old Testament, wrapping it up with the proclamation of the risen Christ. The Jews living in this community in what is now central Turkey would have been a very small community, a people in many ways detached from the main body of their people. To be a Jew of the diaspora was to be a Jew living in exile among the Gentiles, among the nations, scattered throughout the nations. They had very likely become rather used to this role, but it is the heart of the encouragement that Paul gives them that to the sons of the family of Abraham, God has sent the message of salvation not merely for one nation, but for all the nations. Now, no doubt this community had heard and had heard regularly the promise given to their forefather Abraham this, by your descendants, remember the word of the Lord to Abraham, by your descendants shall all the nations of the earth bless themselves because you have obeyed my voice. And the people of the synagogue do not immediately reject this message. In fact, they beg Paul and Barnabas after they give this encouraging message regarding the risen Christ. They beg them, come back. We want to hear from you again. Sort of joked with the earlier congregation. In all my years of preaching, I've never had somebody beg me to come back the following week. Maybe you can do that this week. I I don't care, but... uh, (laughs) But the events of that following Sabbath, I'll deal with next week. So, you know, you got to stay tuned for that. But today, among, if you go there today to Antioch of Pisidia in the ruins of the city, excavations have revealed that under the ruins of that ancient Byzantine basilica are the ruins of an earlier synagogue. So Paul's word had its effect. But if we can tell from the text, not among the Jews of that community, and you'll find out more next week. We should not take any of this to be evidence that the church superseded the synagogue, but rather that in Christ, the good news given to Abraham is given to all the nations. Well, I want to break this down a bit this morning. I think if I was asked on any given Sunday to give a word of encouragement to a church, or this one or any church, my first instinct would be to say something about what God has done for his people in Christ. I would simply proclaim the gospel. The gospel is encouraging. At the end of the day, I might say, so keep your heads up. God is for us. Who can be against us? Something like that. Churches today struggle with all kinds of things, from financial issues to declining attendance to pastoral transitions to dismay about their place in the culture. Surely what people need to hear more about is, that, is what God has done for them. Surely the word of encouragement needs to be something like this. Look how loved you are that Christ died and rose again for you. 
And that's not a bad thing, but that is not the message that Paul brings to these people who ask for a word of encouragement. The message, if I can sum it up, is this. That God did great things for your fathers, great things for his people Israel, and entrusted to them the message of salvation, and through his beloved son, through his death and resurrection... God has proclaimed the forgiveness of sins, not only to the Jews, but for the Gentiles, for the nations as well. That what God did not do through the law of Moses, he does now. In other words, the encouragement Paul offers is not merely, look what God has done for you. It is, look what God has done for you so that you can be a blessing to the nations. Look how this promise to Abraham comes true. We occupy a space in the church where we hear the first part of that message Sunday after Sunday after Sunday without the second part. And I will tell you that the second part is just as encouraging and as essential to encouragement as the first. Without the second part of that message, the message is incomplete. We think that when we proclaim the gospel in terms of what God has done for you, we are preaching a complete gospel. Not so. The completeness of the gospel comes when we are not only saved and forgiven, but saved and forgiven so that others might also be made children of God. At the end of this word of encouragement, which is often the case with the lectionary, I hope, you know, future lectionaries won't have this problem, but this wonderful word from Paul is cut off the reading. And it, I would say, on first glance, it seems to be very discouraging but I think it is actually an encouraging word. Listen to what he says at the end of this sermon. Beware, therefore, lest there come upon you what is said in the prophets, Behold, you scoffers, and wonder and perish. For I do a deed in your days, a deed you will never believe if one declares it to you. Listen to that. Behold, you scoffers, and wonder and perish. At the end of this word of encouragement is a warning A warning against scoffing. A warning against despising the nations. A word against despising even the work of God because God is doing a deed which is so great that it cannot be imagined. I mean, we should deeply struggle with this. Can you imagine what it would be like for Paul to hear that in 300 years the Roman Empire would be Christian? Can you imagine what it would be like for Barnabas, this very encouraging man, that's what his name means, is to think that within a very short time, that whole area that he worked in would have a church in every, in every city, in every town. It can't be imagined. What happens in this account from the Acts of the Apostles is that the following week, and we'll say more about this next week, when Paul and Barnabas go back to the synagogue in Antioch, the whole city shows up to hear them, meaning not only Jews in the synagogue, but Gentiles as well. Not just a few Gentiles, but all of them. Now, I can only imagine what would happen if the whole city showed up here on a Sunday morning. We'd have a crisis. <laughs> Some of you would say, ah, are we sure we want the riffraff here on a Sunday? Are we sure we want all the people here? And some of you might have less charitable attitudes than even that. 
And we read about that following Sabbath. When the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with jealousy and contradicted what was spoken by Paul, and they reviled him. So whereas they begin with being very interested in what he has to say, they are disinterested in what he has to say. Where they begin full of hope and encouragement, they become discouraged, they become disillusioned, and they become scoffers. And at, the, and at the preaching of Paul, Gentiles come to faith. They gladly accept the message. They believe. But the Jewish leaders stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and they essentially run them out of town. They go on down the road to Iconium. Friends, when the gospel is proclaimed in an insular manner, when it is proclaimed as merely good news for us who believe, and the nations are left out of that message, and others are left out, and the outsider remains an outsider. Very often we ourselves become scoffers. We become a people who despise the outsider. We become a people who are jealous for the gospel and not zealous for the gospel. And there's a difference, a big difference. And today I freely and openly repent this morning of doing that ever, of making fun of people who are quite simply lost, of ridiculing those outside the church, of any uncharitable attitude I've had towards those who do not believe. If you're hearing these words of mine this morning and you're similarly convicted, I invite you to join me in repentance of this. We very often have a posture of closeness toward the outsider, and sometimes this is rooted in the idea that if we express openness or generosity toward the outsider, we'll get sucked into a vortex of doubt and despair and unbelief. Maybe we're concerned of losing our identity. But friends, I want to say a bit this morning about what happens when we remember the call of God's people to be a blessing to the world, when we remember that the gospel is not just for us when we remember that we are a people who are called to be a blessing to the nations, that our obedience results in great goodness for this world. First, we experience, we experience the confirmation of our faith, not the ruin of it. I remember years ago, uh, uh, a guy showed up. He was, an, he was an aircraft mechanic at our church, and uh, he was a lovely guy. And the first thing he asked me when he approached me was, you know, I hear this is a place where people can learn about what Christians believe. Is that true? And I said, yes, I think it's true. He said, do you have some sort of class? Well, it was August, and you know what happens in August. And, and I said, as a matter of fact, we're starting something right now. And, and, and he went through the catechesis course, and, and he was... He wound up being baptized in the Easter Vigil, and this man's life was completely changed by the gospel. And that parish, which had been before a country club kind of parish in a downtown section, was revitalized by this man's presence among us. The faith of those people was confirmed, not ruined by his presence. Second, we experience the strengthening of our identity and not the dilution of it. When we are a people who are tasked with bringing a message of salvation to the world, that message becomes stronger. Our identity becomes stronger, becomes more sure, not less. We often worry that we'll lose all of our identity 
if we become a people who are externally focused. And that is so far from the truth, so far from the truth. Third, we even become more resolved in Christian orthodoxy, not less. It's one of the great tragedies of the way that people will often think today. If you're generous to the outsider, if you're generous to those who don't believe, you are losing your faith, you're losing your grip on Christian orthodoxy, and it's just not true. We become more resolved because that treasure is more precious to us, not less. When God's people discover the joy of living out obedience to Jesus, not merely for themselves alone, but for the sake of others, magnificent things happen. For much of my Christian life, I have lived as an inheritor of an internally identified, insular idea that I think is foreign to this calling placed on the people of God in Scripture. I was told this, be on your guard. Because there are people who want to destroy your faith, come after your family, persecute you, and snuff out your convictions. They're going to want to alter you. They're going to want to change you. And you can't stand against that. It's impossible. You won't. So hole up. Dig a trench. And I want you to know, friends, that I've suffered for the name of Jesus. I've suffered for the cause of orthodoxy. But I didn't do it for myself. And there were times when I didn't even know I was doing that. But I didn't do it for myself. I did it for others. And friends, at a certain point, even that made me bitter. It made me hate my enemy. It made me despise my foes. And in the end, I became discouraged. I must say that in our diocese, this insularity and culture of despising the outsider often works at a fever pitch. And at the end of the day, it is not a credit to us. It's discouraging. It's depressing. And I wish to spare our parish of that culturally. I wish to avoid that fate. And I'm praying for that. You have to be reminded that you were offered the free gift of salvation, not for yourselves, but for the salvation of others. And that this parish was planted, not so that we could have a nice building for our daughters to get married in. Although, I think we kind of, we got that. That's good, right? <laughs> That's an added bonus, I think. We didn't do it for that. We did it so that we could make disciples of our neighbors. We did it so that we could proclaim the good news of Jesus to our city, to our neighbors. And beloved, if we can be about that work, if we can seek obedience to Jesus and opening our hearts to his purposes, especially among those who do not believe or among those who are wayward or among those who are filled with questioning and doubt, we'll have the benefit of encouragement from the Lord of being emboldened in our witness and not shrinking back. And this is the message today preached by Paul in the synagogue as a word of encouragement. To us, he says, has been sent the message of salvation. And finally, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you and by him everyone that believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses.
It's good news for you, and it's good news for the outsider. And you know what? That's why the whole city shows up. And we'll say more about this next week. But the jealousy that they are stirred to is demonic. It's not godly. It's not good. And my prayer for our parish is that we would become utterly dedicated to obedience to Jesus and therefore dedicated to this task. This proclamation of the good news to the nations, not only abroad, but right here in this city, that our hearts would be full of generosity and openness to the stranger, and that every single one of us would be encouraged by the good news of Jesus as he multiplies it in us. May it be so, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Oh,